to have our burdens rolled away. And uh, the message today is going to be about um, helping ensure that others are able to have their burdens rolled away. You know, the world really feels a great burden, which is at the lower dome for one of my son's birthdays. And you see people that are struggling with their identity of who they are, and you can just see in their eyes um, great depression. They're trying different things to satisfy their desires, and yet they still um, come across empty. And I'm just going to be able to um, see and to say that was the response. And that's our theme um, for this year, and um, that's what we're going to be preaching about. Um, it's just something I want to be a continual reminder um, to see and to say that which was lost. I guess oftentimes the lost don't even know they're lost. They're just out there wandering. And um, they maybe are even feeling like they're seeking something, but they just don't know what they're seeking after. And that's where God wants to use us to seek and to save that which was lost as well. And so if you can go open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, um, Luke chapter 19 is where we have handouts for this morning as well. Is there anybody that has not received a handout of notes for the message? Anybody will have one yesterday's break of mind. And it's like everybody got um, one. And so um, Luke chapter 19 and verse 1 says that Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans. Uh, publicans is an older word to speak of um, tax collectors. That, um, they're the ones that go and um, steal from people. Um, and um, there's sometimes maybe like just tax, but then um, tax collectors would often um, demand more than what was even required. And, and so the publicans were not seen in a good light. And uh, we see here that he was, that he was rich. And, and he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide in thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest of a man that is a sinner. God forbid Jesus go to spend time with a sinner perfect son of God, stood in their mind. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I will restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so here we see uh, with Zacchaeus, 
collector, a man despised by the multitudes. But he heard about this man named Jesus, and he just wanted to get to know and to see who is he. Perhaps he had heard about some of the miracles that Jesus had done. Uh, making the blind to be able to see, the deaf able to hear, perhaps hearing about the um, multiplying of the fish and the loaves um, to feed the thousands. Uh, who knows what he had heard, but we see that he was interested to see who Jesus was. But he had a disadvantage um, in this case, okay? Now I'm saying this is a disadvantage for everybody to be sorted, okay? So don't misinterpret what I'm saying. But when there was multitudes of people, people that are much taller than him, all looking to see who Jesus is, and he's short, he can't see. He couldn't see what was going on. He knew he was there, but he didn't, he couldn't see. And so we see this was a rich, wealthy man. But he climbed the sycamore tree. The sycamore tree had branches that were well suitable to be able to climb up and to be able to sit on the limb. That's not really the most dignified position for a wealthy rich man to be climbing a tree to do so, but it didn't matter to him because he was desperate. He wanted to see all this fanfare about Jesus um, was. And we see that set, um, when Jesus sees something, he says to make haste, quickly, to come down. And this is the only case that I found in Scripture where Jesus actually says, hey, I'm coming over to your house. Like, it wasn't even an invitation, so to speak. It wasn't like saying, he said, hey, can you come to my house today? Now, Jesus perhaps already knew when we know we knew. Um, but perhaps this is the reason he knew what was in his heart and was saying, hey, you know what? I need to abide in your house. I'm coming over. And we see Zacchaeus' heart was already prepared. He wasn't like, why is this stranger saying he's going to come to my house? Does he know, you know, I haven't got anything clean yet? Um, you know, there's not the telephones yet to maybe call his wife and go, hey, hurry, get the house all cleaned up. But no, he was joyfully, it says, to receive him to come. Um, it says that he came down and received him joyfully. And then there were the people that are like, you know, this man is a sinner. Do people even know what kind of person, does Jesus know what kind of person this is? You know, we've seen him know all things before. Does Jesus really want to be marked? But being associated with this guy? Now perhaps people will question Jesus' motives because of the people that he is being around. But elsewhere we see that Jesus said, He came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That the physicians, they, you know, the, uh, who goes to the physicians, who goes to the doctors, typically it's not the healthy. It's those that are sick, they go. And that's who Jesus came to minister to. You know, two things can be true at once. The Bible talks about how Jesus was separate from sinners, and yet it says here he's inviting to be around sinners. You know, to be separate from sinners is to be separate from the sinful activity of being with them. 
You know, we see in other places where um, even the harlots were wanting to know who Jesus was. And Jesus spent time with them, but not in the way of participating in their sin, but of seeing people that maybe were even victims of their work. Maybe some of the sexual trafficking of that day. And then some of them, no doubt, were willingly participating in it for the finances that they felt they needed to survive. And so, you know, Jesus ministered. He didn't come to seek and to save that which was already saved or that was already righteous. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Sadly, today, often, you know, at churches kind of come to this mindset where they think we're just trying to fill the seats of people that are already righteous. Or perhaps simply trying to gather somebody from another church and come to our church that's right in doctrine. That, they, um, that could be the mindset. But really our mindset isn't to seek and to go after those that other people have reached through other ministries but to see and to save those that are lost, to get out in the community, those that don't know Jesus, that don't have a church affiliation, or maybe are um, part of maybe a cult and they need the true gospel of Jesus Christ. But that's the purpose. is isn't to try to build numbers here as far as church membership, but to seek out and build numbers in heaven, to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's what Jesus came given to save tax collectors. So for you that just hate the IRS, I'm sorry, but Jesus wants to save them too, amen? And you know what? Maybe they'll get the right heart that Zacchaeus did. We see Zacchaeus, he's like, if I had done anything wrong to anybody by fraud, I will restore them fourfold. Now that would be nice if that happened to the IRS. They said, hey, you know what? We took too much money. Here, half is back. Four times that amount. That would be a voice a day. So pray for the salvation of your IRS agents. And you never know what might happen. But we see that he was, he was like, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Now the law um, didn't require a fourfold restitution from something simply is fraud like that. Um, Zacchaeus' willingness to make restitution was proof that his conversion was genuine, but it was the fruit, not the condition of his salvation. That was part of fruit of his salvation, uh, not the fruit of it. And when he wasn't given that to earn salvation, but because of a genuine change that happened in his heart, he wanted to make things right. And he was willing to do more than the law required. Uh, now, uh, in Leviticus 6, 5, Numbers 5, 6, and 7, the law required a penalty of one-fifth or 20% extra to be given back if it is found that someone committed fraud. And so they give 20% more plus what they had stolen from someone. If it wasn't, um, um, one time the Bible does talk about fourfold restitution was if an animal was stolen and killed. 
out if the animal was found alive, then only a twofold restitution was required. But Zacchaeus judged his own crime severely, acknowledging that he was as guilty as the lowest of the common robbers. And since much of his wealth had probably been acquired fraudulently, and, and the charging people more in taxes than he was supposed to, this was a costly commitment. And then on top of that, he gave half of his goods to the poor. But he had found incomprehensible riches in Jesus Christ, spiritual riches, that no matter what his material wealth lost was, his life was changed. Now he stands in contrast to just a chapter before um, there was um, a man in this year, he was a young, rich ruler, the Bible says, and he um, says, Jesus, I have obeyed all of the commandments from my youth. I've kept the law from a child. Basically, he's boasting in his own goodness as if he was without fault. And Jesus said, one thing thou lacks. Sell all thy goods and give to the Now, Jesus wasn't saying, hey, you have to do this to be saved. But he was using the law to show that he could not boast of himself. Because the man was right. How do I need eternal life? And so Jesus like, okay, if you're thanking your own goodness and following the law, it's going to bring salvation. Okay, the Bible does say in Galatians, if the law could save, it would. But the law has concluded all are sinners. And so the law could not save. And so what did the man repent and say, hey, no, Lord, I've sinned against him? No, he wept bitterly and just moved on. So I count the cost, like I'm not going to sell all my gifts to follow Jesus. Here with Zacchaeus, um, but first before that, Jesus told his disciples, how hard is it for a rich man who trusts in his riches to be saved. But with God, all things are possible. Because you know what? If a man is trusting in his riches, it's going to be hard for that person to get saved. Not as impossible. And the only reason it's hard is because they're depending upon their wealth to be their accomplishment. Jesus says, no, that's not enough. Someone must come to faith in Jesus. See what Zacchaeus, a rich man that gets converted, turns to Jesus Christ, and then out of the fruit of that conversion is willing to give what he has stolen. And then Jesus told the disciples, told the people that were around him, this key for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus being a sinner, he was coming to seek and to save after him. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is the tree of love, and he that winneth souls is wise. That's right, I get the verses up. Um, that he that winneth souls is wise. Proverbs 11 and verse 30. And so, that this term we often will use in church is soul winning. 
and have someone visiting or someone not familiar to the term might be like next two verses. That's right. Um, um, might be like, what is soul winning? And soul winning is like wanting you know you're kind of you're being persuasive, you're winning their soul to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in Daniel, um, I went to Daniel 12, it talks about they that um, win many um, to the Lord shall shine as the stars in heaven. They that, that turn many to righteousness. And that's talking about the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't do the saving, so to speak. And so there's sometimes some people don't like the term soul winning because they're like, no, we can't win any soul. However, we do see that God uses the term soul. He that went of souls is wise. And what did Paul say? He said, I become all things to all men that I might save some. Man, where was the Pharisee there to tell him, Paul, oh, you don't save souls? And yeah, you know, Paul knew he himself did not save souls. But he knew that God could use him to lead people to Jesus and that Jesus would save souls. And so there's really nothing wrong with saying that we're out there to go soul winning, to seek and to save that which was lost. We understand Jesus does the saving, but he does call us to be the ones to present the gospel and to use the word of God to try to persuade people of the truth while the Holy Spirit does the conviction of the soul. And so there's the mandate of soul winning. The mandate of soul winning. Sometimes people feel like they, they're soul winning simply because they're trying to live a godly lifestyle. It's often called lifestyle evangelism. That um, you know, like we keep our faith private, but if we just live right, then people might ask us about our salvation or about our life. Now, it's important for a Christian to live for the Lord. We should strive to be godly, to live for Jesus. But that is not how Jesus calls us only to evangelize. He doesn't just say, hey, be a good person. Now, he tells us to proclaim the message. There's a mandate to share the gospel. Um, you live your best. You don't need to be pro proactive. That attitude likes that evangelism. You live your best. You don't need to be proactive um, to share your faith. Um, just maybe they might ask you. The problem with that mentality is we're never really being godly if we are never telling people about Jesus. Um, that was just being disobedient. Christ, if we're never sharing the gospel with people. Matthew 28, verse 19. The Bible says, this is Jesus speaking, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You know, the Bible talks about also, Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And you know, if we're following Jesus, we're going to strive to fish for men, that they may be able to get saved. That's not talking about um, your dating lifestyle, okay? Go fishing for men, okay? It's talking about bringing people to Jesus. 
You know, one can dress up like a fisherman, own fishing poles and tackle, and enjoy going to the river. But if he never actually goes fishing, he's not going to catch any fish. It's just not going to happen. Also, you read accordingly to how often you go fishing. If you only go fishing once a year, like maybe I, you know, you may or may not catch any fish. You're like someone that may be going fishing every week, every other week. They're going fishing often. They're going to catch more fish than you know, the Bible talks about the principle that, that we reap what we sow, that, that if we're not sowing, we're not going to reap. And it's the same thing in our evangelism. If we never tell someone about Jesus, if we never invite somebody to church, they go, well, we're not going to win anybody, are we? Now, let's say we try, hey, you know what? What's, what if we get one gospel tracked out of it? Maybe take that as a challenge. Know, to tell someone about Jesus, to invite somebody to church at least once a week. If you're not doing that already, when you challenge yourself in that, Lord, help to invite somebody to church. More importantly, help me tell somebody about Jesus Christ. If you do that consistently and over time, you're going to reap. There's going to be someone that comes. I remember um, asking a visitor one time on how they heard, heard about the church and stuff. I, I didn't remember seeing them. It's just you invited me. And it was from like six months previously. And so if I never gave her that track, she would have never showed up that day. And so just dressing the part, looking the part of a Christian. It's not going to reach people. Just like looking like a fisherman does not make him a fisherman. We must be active in doing what a fisherman does to catch fish and to be a soul winner. We must be active in doing what a soul winner does and that's telling people about Jesus. Passing people out, giving Bibles, passing them out, gospel tracts. Letter A is an authoritative mandate. It's authoritative mandate. You know, Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Then he says, Go ye therefore. And so soul winning is not simply a spiritual gift. Some people say, you know, it's just not my spiritual gift. And now I understand some people are more gifted as far as naturally and talking to people. I understand that. But, you know, when you talk about spiritual gifts, where the Bible talks about the different roles of spiritual gifts, you know, it doesn't say, hey, soul winning is one of the gifts, and some people aren't given that gift. You know, the spiritual gifts, the Bible says the Holy Spirit gives as he wills. He has not given me the gift of seeing. And that's where I got repent of my covetousness of that. It's man, how I covet. I wish I knew how to sing. Wish I could be out there singing, um, being part of a quartet, or singing solos. I just can't do it. Everyone would be gone. Okay? Don't want to drive people away that way. I already do enough of that for preaching, amen? But um, it's an authoritative mandate. Soul winning is not a spiritual gift. 
So sowing is not an option for the believer. It's what God calls us all as Christians to do. Calls us all to be telling people about Jesus. Christians must operate on the foundation of the Lord's sovereign authority. The Lord's sovereign authority. And you know, so often you'll have communities that will maybe say, you cannot witness here, you cannot evangelize here. And you know, sometimes you'll have them in apartments where it will say, no soliciting. Now it's already been in court that, you know, if an individual house has that on there, you're to respect that. But if it's on an apartment, the apartment cannot speak for every individual in the apartment. And so that there is the right to be able to knock on the door, not to trespass into the house. And if they do have a no trespass inside, in their yard, you're to honor, you're supposed to respect that. But we do see that the world wants to keep on trying to find ways to tell us not to evangelize. You have countries that say you cannot tell the gospel here. But you know what? Our mandate does not come from the government. It wasn't, hey, if the government gives you permission, you can share your faith. No, if we have a mandate from the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. That's why many times in Rome, you know, they killed Christians early on because there was no king but Jesus. Now, at the same time, they would honor and respect the earthly kings, but when they contradicted what Jesus told them to do, Jesus was their king. Jesus was their Lord. And so we must operate with that foundation that to go evangelize was given by the Lord himself. People often go as missionaries to countries that are closed and hostile to Christians. Why are they going in the country that don't want them there? They have a mandate from the kingdom of kings, from Jesus Christ. Now there is also another place where Jesus talks about what if they receive you not? Jesus says they can shake the dust off your feet and go to the next house. And so how does that reconcile? Well, many times the governments don't want you there to share the faith, but there's people there that need the gospel. Now, as if those people tell you, hey, I'm not interested, I don't want to hear from the Bible, I don't want to hear what you have to say, you respectfully go, okay, you know what, you, you can give them a track if they'll take it, if not, then you don't just throw it on their ground, you don't just litter, you respectfully move on. And you know, let the Lord do the convicting of that. That, you know, maybe later he'll reconsider. But we're not there to try to stop our ground, try to force this, or say, you know what, turn or burn. Okay? That's not our mindset to be going through the doorsteps. Okay? We want to share the gospel, tell them we're sinners, and that, you know, we're separated from God, and hell wouldn't be a place if we don't turn to Christ. Sure, but if they're rejecting you right at the beginning or at any time, Jesus does say, wipe the dust off your feet and move on. We're not there to try to intentionally antagonize um, people. But we do have a mandate to share the gospel with people to see and to save that which was lost. Now, if they're not interested, we move on. But we need to keep going and teaching the gospel to people. Jesus didn't say, just give up your soul winning ministry. And he 
says, no, then go into the next house. Go to the next village. Go to the next city. Letter B, we have an active mandate. This was not a mandate that was just given to the apostles. And then we don't need to do anything. Now the Bible says of the apostles, though, their ministry under the people, the Christians of that era, that they turned the world upside down. Made a huge difference in the lives of the people. It's an active mandate. Jesus said, and he said, I'm going into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know, the some people ask, when is the end going to come? One of the comments Jesus says is, um, when the last has heard the gospel message. Forget the passage I can give for you after church. But you know what? To teach and preach the gospel, and when the last is heard, then shall the end come. So you know, we want to see Jesus come soon. You know, let's get the gospel out. Amen. Go out soul winning. It's an act of mandate. You know what? Every creature has not heard yet. And so we are to be active about it. Tell everybody here. You know, Isaiah asked the question, How long shall I go, O Lord? How long shall I stay here and preach your name? And Jesus, the Lord Jehovah, says that until the land is waste and desolate and there is no more inhabitant in the land. When that's the case, you don't need to be there. Okay, so if there's a desert, there's somewhere, and there's nobody there, okay, don't be a missionary there, okay? Okay, there's nobody there. Now, sometimes you may not know until you go. And so you go, and then if there's no one there, go to where the people are. It's an active mandate. And so it's Christianity in two words. Come and go. The universal call to the lost is to come to Christ. The universal call to the saved is to go. Now once we're saved, we're to go and teach the gospel. You know, we're not just to wait and say, hey, we have a church here, we have a sign here, we're welcome to any to come. No, we're to be going, not waiting. We're to go. Let us see. It's an absolute mandate. Jesus is very specific. He's very clear what our purpose is. To go win souls to Christ. You know, he says to go in Matthew 28. To go teach all nations. Okay? To win souls to Christ. To go win souls to Christ. Number two. To baptize them. Okay? We don't baptize infants for a reason. It's not in the Bible. The number one. Uh, the, the, really the only reason. But we see, that, you know, it says first you went into Christ, you teach them the gospel, then you baptize them. We see in Acts 8, 30, uh, 6, 37, 38, the Ethiopian eunuch asked, Phil, what must I do to get baptized? He doesn't say, hey, become a baby again. Okay? He says, believe. Says, he says, if thou believest with all thine heart that Jesus, the Son of God, is raised again, then thou mayest, and he believed of all his heart, and then he was baptized. And so it was a believer's baptism. And so we're to baptize believers. And then number three, to teach them God's word. To 
teach them in all things that Jesus has commanded. And so that's discipleship. They get, first they get saved, they get baptized, and then they get discipled in the Word. Now some churches, they'll be like, you need to go through our membership class for six months, and then we may baptize you. It's not in the order of the Bible here. It says, win them to Christ, baptize them, and then continue teaching them the rest of what God has commanded. So it's still possible today to go win souls, baptize them, teach them God's Word, and to involve them in so many multiplying that process. You know, as our church grows, we can have a bigger impact in our community because we can have more soul winners, more people reaching out. A mandate that includes Christ's presence and power, letter D. It's a mandate that includes Christ's presence and power. He says, Lo, I am with you always. That Jesus is with us is for our soul when he's always with us. The motive of soul winning. The motive of soul winning. But it should be the right motive, letter A. The motive shouldn't be simply that our church grows bigger. Okay, now does that often happen? If we go soul winning, will the church grow bigger? Yes, praise the Lord. But the motive isn't to be like, look at me, look at how many people I brought to church. That's not the motive. The motive needs to be right. Jeremiah 17.10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try to write, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. That God searches the heart and the motive. First Thessalonians 2, verse 3. It says, For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. You know, there's preachers today, don't use the Bible, don't use the name of Christ, and they're simply using it to make merchandise of people. It's just to try to get people to buy their prophecy recordings, or to buy their books. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with a Christian writing a book and selling it and making a profit. Nothing wrong with that at all. But there are some ministers that they'll preach part of the word and they're just trying to get people sensational just to try and bring a movement just to fill their pocketbook. That they're not genuine. Now, are anybody ever saved in those situations as far as those saying, Herod? Sure. You know what Paul says, you know what, even if there's preachers that had the wrong motives, even um, if they were trying to do it for their own gain, you know what, he rejoices that the gospel is preached. That soul was worth saying. Now Paul also warned that, you know what, to mark false teachers and to avoid them. And so part of, you know, administrative pastoring is warning about false teachers out there that are just trying to deceive you. Um, so what Harry Paul says, you know, we're not used to be seen, uncleanness, or God. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God was trying the hearts, our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness. Okay? They weren't just trying to smooth talk people. They weren't trying to itch people's ears. And they weren't doing this out of monetary gain or covetousness. To 
as God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. You know, their heart, their motive was to seek and to save that which was lost. Paul, in defending his apostleship, and so, and, and it talks about, like in, in, in 1 Timothy, you know, it, it talks about, you know, financially taking care of the pastors. But then Paul says, I have not exercised this liberty. Now, the purpose is so a pastor could focus to be dedicated to the ministry, to not have to have another occupation, but to focus on tending to the flock, being in the word, in prayer, and reaching the lost. But Paul says, you know, he's an apostle. You know what? I'm a timid. I'm not do I, I'm, I'm not charging the church, so to speak. I'm doing this because you know what? It's the foundation of the church. And that's what it all looked like. You know, that's what it looked like. You're just doing this for the apostles' financial gain. And Paul's like, no, I received not any of this. When he did receive funds, it was to go and help the other churches, to help the saints that were in need. That were struggling, they say would be persecuted, and they would lose their jobs simply for being a Christian. And so they would help as the church with those financial gains. But he says, you know what? For this, as far as um, the, as the Bible says, the labor is worth me of his reward. Paul's attitude was, I don't want any of it. Lest they make my glory and void. You know, I glory in the cross. We're motivated by personal gain or recognition in soul winning. Our motives are not pure. God will build his church as a result of Christians being motivated in soul winning out of love for Christ. Out of a love for him. Jesus has commanded us to go and be a witness to share the gospel. That should be our motivation. Not for the recognition of the pastor. Okay, John, Rob, visitor this week. Now, you know, you may see, I won't be encouragement to you, and I'll try to give encouraging words. And I know I lack many times in that, in showing appreciation where I need and should show appreciation. However, on receiving it, we should not be doing it for recognition. And pastor in this church, my purpose ought not to be to be recognized, to be seen of men, to be exalted. The only reason we're up here is one so you can see and so we can declare the word of God, proclaim it, the word of God. As John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must decrease. And may we hide behind the shadow of the cross, so to speak. Let her be. Christ are its same. Christ are its same. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what he came to do. That's the pattern we should follow. Christ was motivated by the brevity of time. John 4.35 says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then come of harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And then using this illustration, he's not talking about farming, okay? He's using a farming illustration. 
to illustrate that we're not to be just sitting back and just waiting. One day, maybe one day, people will come. Like he says, the harvest is already great. There's already people out there. There's already people that need the gospel. And we're not to just pray away, okay, Lord, maybe we'll support missionaries a year from down the road. You know, being a smaller um, um, community church, you know, we're not going to be having, say, the financial um, stamina that, you know, a larger church would have. But we're not to sit back and say, hey, we're not going to support missionaries now. We'll support them when we, as we grow and we get bigger. Now, you know, Jesus said, you know, he said to an ass one, to both go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Now, we're to be doing it all, but we can, of course, but we're to be going to all the places, and so we're to be not only ministering in Napavine, but in other communities as well. That's why we have a missionary we support to China, a missionary in Papua New Guinea, a missionary in, um, to the Navajo um, Indians. And so they can hear the gospel. We're not focused just on Napavine. Now, we maybe aren't able to do $1,000 a month of support, but we can do 100 And in other churches as well, help out and, and support those mission works as well. And so we can do something. And may our giving grow as we grow. But we need to be involved now. And thank God we are. And may the Lord reveal other missionaries that we could also take on for support. Christ was motivated by the brevity of time. Time is now. The Bible says there will be a day where we will no more say to our neighbor, know the Lord. It will be that day. That you know when we're in heaven, when we're on the new earth, there won't be anybody to evangelize. And so soul winning is something you can do now that you will not be able to do in heaven. And as Daniel 12 talks about, you know what, there's a reward for those that um, are souls. Christ was motivated by the desire to please his Father. It was to please God the Father. After 18, 14, Jesus said, Even so it is not you know, the will of your Father, which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should be. You know, it's not God's will that people perish. It's not God's desire for people to be in the lake of fire. The Bible talks about how hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. That's what the purpose was for. Not for us. And so that's why Jesus is coming to seek and to save that which was lost. So the Bible says he's not only that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And it's, it's not the will of your Father in heaven that these ones would perish. It's not the will of the Father for us not to tell them how they could escape from perish. To be eternally separated from God. It's God's will that we would share the gospel. And so we want to share the gospel not to please the pastor, not to please the church, but to please God. To please the Lord. Number three, the ministry of a soul. 
could have been soul blaming. Be a faithful Christian. You know, earlier I was talking about don't depend on your lifestyle to just reach people. Okay? It needs to be you have the lifestyle living for God and you're sharing the gospel. You don't want it to be where, hey, you're sharing the gospel and you're just totally trying to live wicked. And okay? that sends a mixed message. Now, of course, you know what? To an extent, all of us are hypocrites. It's none of us, none of us can keep the law perfectly. You know, we're all sinners saved by grace. But in that, we're not a hypocrite. We're not a hypocrite in that saying that we're not sinners. We are sinners. And we're sharing the gospel. But you notice the Bible says, He that name of the name of Christ, let him depart from iniquity. What people see is you are sharing the gospel, that you are a faithful Christian. It's the Bible says, And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow Christ, you'll be fishers of men. So when alone does not equal spirituality, but a spiritual Christian will strive to be a soul winner. You know, someone mentioned the other day in our business meeting, in our church business annual meeting. You know, we have some more training on how to be a soul winner. What a wonderful question. You know, to get more training, how do we share the gospel? How do we approach people that maybe that are strangers? Or how do we reach even our family members? All good questions. In June, we're going to have official training where we're going to be focused on that on Wednesday nights and teaching and training on being a soul winner. It's be a faithful Christian. Let it be, to be effective, be a spirit-filled Christian. Acts 1 8, Jesus said, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So one of the reasons the Holy Spirit was given was for the power to witness for Christ. You know, the Bible doesn't simply say things like, Hey, be filled with the Spirit, and you're going to speak in tongues. Not what the Bible says. It says, when they were filled with the Spirit, they spoke the Word of God boldly. And now, speaking in tongues was not a prayer language that people do today. You know, Paul says, you know, I'll pray with the Spirit and I'll pray with the understanding also. It's not going to be a language you don't understand or other people understand. That speaking in tongues was the miraculous spiritual gift. It was assigned unto Israel specifically, um, and that God would use people of other tongues to teach and preach the gospel, and then that people would hear it in their own language. You read in Acts chapter 2, and you see that. You know, it says they spoke in tongues, and people were like, Whoa! How are we hearing people in another language speak in our language? That's what speaking in the other tongues was. People heard the gospel message miraculously. God translated That's what the spiritual gift was. It wasn't just a bunch of mumbo jumbo. It wasn't a bunch of that sensationalism. The evidence of being filled with the Spirit was that they spoke the Word of God with boldness. Jesus in John 16, 13, he says, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, 
Holy Spirit's ministry was not going to be focused on the Holy Spirit. Now, should we teach and preach about the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. But you know, the Holy Spirit's ministry, as you'll see in a lot of Pentecostal churches, is so much focused on the Holy Spirit that they miss Jesus. Now, the Spirit of God isn't going to speak of Himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall we speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. The role of the Spirit of God was to point people to Jesus Christ. So to be effective, be a spiritual Christian. <clears throat> to be effective, be a faithful witness. Again, if we're not witnessing, if we're not telling people about Jesus, then people aren't hearing it. So be a faithful witness. Acts 20, 20. It says, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and house from house to house. They know there were times in the public that in the synagogue or in the church, he would preach publicly. In the market street, but also house to house, privately, one-on-one, -on -one, with him and with the family, speaking the name of Jesus Christ. And may we, in this year and years to come, be a faithful, soul-winning church, a faithful witness. Paul Chapel mentions a time um, when he was driving an old, run-down, white Toyota, and as he was driving... The car broke down right in front of a Dodge dealership. He had a Toyota, now he's in a Dodge dealership, but it broke down. And he thought perhaps this is a sign from God to buy a new car. Broke down right there. And he went to the dealership, test drove the vehicle, had all the bells and whistles they probably would never use anyways. But the option just seemed to make it more valuable. Just as it could do it. And after all the emotional hype by the salesman and um, asked all kinds of friendly questions, he asked, like, can I help you with anything? Would you like something to drink? He wanted that cell with a passion, the salesman. And Paul Chapel said he felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit as if you care as much about his soul as he cares about selling you this car, he might be saved. He said right then when all then all the excitement about the car faded. His focus was not on buying that car. And he said, Hey Ralph, wait one second. Ralph's like, yes, what is it? Because Ralph, this car is great. I've never seen seats do what these can do. It's really something. But first, let me ask you a question. Ralph, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven, hell, or do you know? Right in the car, don't you? You look at him as he had just landed from Mars. He went to Romans Road with him. You know, in Romans Road, you know, there's scriptures in Romans. You can see them on our gospel tracks. Grab some as you go today and talk about how we're sinning. Talks about how because of sin we deserve to die. Um, um, how because but Jesus has the gift 
of eternal life. And so it's called Romans Road, that from Romans alone you can show somebody how to come to faith in Jesus Christ, how to have eternal life. And so, um, his old car was going nowhere and neither was Ralph. You know, I can't go anywhere. Ralph wants to make this up. Um, he said he wished he could say he got saved that day, but his manager came in and said, Hey, Ralph, what are we having here? Church or what? Yeah, of course that's what the manager said. Hey, no, wasting time. What's all this religious talk? Sell the car or go to someone else. And so they went back to the purchase. He handed them a gospel track, and he said, Ralph, here is this brochure. In our verses, which I just shared with you, and we'll show you how to accept Jesus as Savior. And give him his phone number and say, hey, if you want to call, you need help, give me a call. And um, at 1 o'clock that very next morning, he got a phone call, and on the other line, he said, hello, this is Ralph. We talked today. You know, today you asked me a question, if I die, would I go to heaven or to hell, or do I know? And I just can't sleep. We get together and talk. Now, Paul Chapel didn't say, hey, I work 8 to 5. Um, call me then. No, he said, you know what? I think Denise is open. I'll meet you there in 30 minutes. And he gave him the gospel there again at Denise and asked him if he wanted to call upon Christ his Savior. And Ralph said, all right, let's pray. He said, Dear Lord, I just want to thank you for this man talking to me today. And then he asked Jesus to forgive him of his sins, to save him. And now that happened as Paul Chapel asked that question. He engaged. Just by the man seeing him or even knowing that he's a pastor would not lead him to salvation. But because he was engaged with him, he was asked the question. And sometimes you might see that where, you know what, if you get out, you give a gospel tract out, you ask them these questions, you might not even hear back from them, especially if you didn't give them your phone number, okay? They might, they might not know who to call. But if you gave them a gospel tract, it may have the church, no, it has the church number on it. They may come and visit the church service, and they may come and look for you and see, see, see where you're at and want to talk to you more. But you see this man, he couldn't sleep in The question was on his mind. And so by engaging with people, you get them to think. Don't think, don't you think that, hey, you know what, man, no one got saved in this soul in outreach. You don't know how the Spirit of God can be working on their conscience. You ask those questions, did not. The wonder, and then maybe they come to faith in Psalm 126, quotes with these next two scriptures. Psalm 126, 5 says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, that seed is the word of God, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And may we have a heart of compassion for people. To see a, a person that maybe is on their way to a Christless eternity in the lake of fire. And that we have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. 
and we weep, we pray for them, and we share the gospel with them. He says, we'll be able to rejoice. We'll be able to reap. You think about this thing, I read this elsewhere. It says, if everybody that said they wanted their church to grow actually got involved in outreach, it might happen. I don't say that to try to bring massive guilt upon the church. Okay? But you say it to ponder, to question, to think about. I think everyone in here probably wants to see the church to grow. Now I understand sometimes people come purposely and want a small church. But as often as they want to be able to be a part of it, they want to start small, but be a part of the growth. And to see God's hand work, they just go to a big church where they just don't seem to know anybody and aren't getting that personal connection. But our heart's desire shouldn't be, hey, let's intentionally stay small on purpose. Okay? That shouldn't be our goal. Now, whether we be small, meaning big, you know, God gives the increase. God builds his church. But may we be involved in sowing and see God give the increase. And it's a true statement. We all that wanted the church to grow, God involved in that. It's just my prayer. You know what Jesus said? Again, or and Paul said that we breathe what we sow. John 20, 21. Jesus said, as my Father has sent me, if it's so, send I Jesus came, he says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And that includes Zacchaeus, the rich, sinful tax collector. And as it also says, Jesus came to preach to the poor, to set the captive free, went to reach the poor, and all those in between came to seek and to save that which was lost. Anybody that's lost, does it matter their financial status? It matters whether they're saved or not. Do they know Christ? And Jesus said, Heaven is the Father that sent me, Heaven is so Sinai. And so he has called us to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's pray. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll have a song of invitation. Have the music playing in the background. We're going to be working on the upcoming weeks, training, using our, teaching our children to sing a song of invitation. So we'll close out with a hymn as well um, in the coming weeks. But today, it's just be the music in the background. But I close heads bowed. Or, um, if God's worked in your heart and you feel compelled, may come to the altar and to say, Lord, help me to be a more faithful soul. Help me try to reach people. So world dying without Christ. You might be the only thing standing in their way. What are they here? Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a wonderful promise. 
verse 9, it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God had raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You know when Christ is your Savior, you come and we'll point you to someone that can show you from the Word of God more of an understanding of it, how you can have eternal life. For a Christian. Verse 14, the question is asked. If first we're told to promise, whosoever shall call upon him in the name of the Lord shall be saved. But the question, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How are they going to call upon Christ if they have not heard from how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? Because it is written how beautiful are the feet of them which preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And that's why we send preachers around the world. To financially support people so they can focus on a mission building. But I care when myself work another job to support our family. But would that not be an excuse for why we don't share with people the gospel of those in our community? Because we got to do those things. we got to work. You know, you can't be 24-7 being out there on the street sharing the gospel, going house to house. But there is free time where you can't do something. you got friends, you got family, you got neighbors. Maybe you have it in these people that hate you. Share the gospel. Dear Holy Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would help us be faithful soul winners. Help me to be a pastor that emphasizes and re-emphasizes it much more than I have. Help me to be a better model and example in its a individual and as it's a family. And Lord, may we see you give the increase. And we see your kingdom build. Say, except a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. May we be sure in the gospel, the word of truth, even that seed that people may be born again to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, please use us this year and in the future to be a greater witness. In Jesus' name, amen. You have April 8th, have our outreaches throughout the Trying to be here, be starting at um, 10 o'clock and going out, inviting people to church, giving them the gospel.